This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. You want to take your Bibles tonight and turn to Revelation chapter 6. So I'm going to, by design, reiterate some things that we talked about last week and hope that you get them. So I'm going to begin reading tonight in Revelation chapter 6, and I'm going to reread for you verse 1 and 2. Keep in mind that John, the beloved, is writing. He said, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I'm not going to take any time tonight to go back and go over that verse. But then in verse 2, And I saw, and behold, a white horse. I want to spend some time with this again tonight. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. This passage is talking about the Antichrist. We're going to talk about him tonight in a little bit more depth, and uh, I pray that you will uh, take notes and pay close attention. Uh, each time we do this, I think that you're able to get a little bit more. All right, now we're talking about the Antichrist. A couple of surface things that leap upon us, um, and we're not going to uh, repeat the entire passage uh, as we left off last week. But notice this, a white horse. This is a symbol of peace. Immediately after the rapture, the, the Antichrist will come on the scene, and he comes in as a peacemaker. That's his goal. That's his mission for the introductional period of the tribulation. The rapture's already occurred in Revelation chapter 4. All right, so now we come into this aspect where the rapture's taken place. The church has been called out. The bride of Christ, we're meeting the Lord in the air. And now the Antichrist comes in on a white horse, symbolizing peace. And you notice again the word says, and a crown was given. This is not a victor's crown. He didn't do anything to win a crown, to win a trophy. But he's a brilliant man. He's a genius. He's able to calm the confusion of the world. And he's able to step out on the stage uh, of society, humanity, and draw an element of peace and cohesiveness and calmness. This is a false peace. This is a false period of time uh, that the world is totally deceived. And you know, as the word says, he had a bow. And we spent some time last week talking about no arrows. So this crown is a, it's not a victor's crown, but he comes in with uh, intelligence. He comes in with uh, being a brilliant uh personality to be able to articulate uh, the peace of the world. Now, I want you to see something tonight because um, this right here is talking about the first, the introductional time <clears throat> to the first three and a half years of the tribulation. <clears throat> I want you to go back with me to John chapter 17 and verse number 12. And I want to reread a couple of verses that we laid a foundation to. I'm going to have to get some water tonight. Fellas, turn this down when I cough a little bit so I won't blow everybody's eardrums out. And i got to do that right now. 
All right. So I want you to look at this in John 17, 12. The scripture says, Now, while I was with them in the world, Jesus is talking. He said, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost. Look at this. This is what I want to focus on. But the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And so we left off last week talking about the omniscience of God. <clears throat> the omniscience of God, and we understand that Jesus was God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God in the flesh. So, we know that God is omniscient, that word meaning he knows everything. He knows everything. God the Son knows everything. How is it that God the Son knows just as much as God the Father? Because the, the scripture says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. So we have to understand that this triune aspect, the Trinity, is three in one. All right, now, look at this. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Do you remember Jesus, and we're going to see this in a minute, when he, when he picked the disciples, he picked all of them. Peter, James, and John, and so forth, they got to Judas, knowing that Judas was a devil. And why did he do that? So that the scripture might be fulfilled. God always operates within the premise of his word. I heard somebody, I heard a preacher say many years ago, he said that in the latter days that the Holy Spirit would work outside of the framework of the Bible, and that's a lie. God will never work outside of his word. And so don't fall for that. God will never, ever work outside of his word. How do you know that, preacher? Because the Bible says the word is settled in heaven forever. All right, so... The unique thing about this verse is that Jesus is calling Judas Iscariot, the son of perdition. Notice that. Jesus said, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but, or except, the son of perdition. That the scripture might be fulfilled. So Ju Jesus here, he's calling Judas Iscariot the son of perdition. Now look at this. Jesus gave Judas another name as well, not only the son of perdition, but in John 6, verse 70, and we talked about this last week, and uh, it, it was launching us into some deep areas, and I felt like it was needful to reiterate them again tonight. Jesus answered and said, Have I not chosen you twelve? You see, he handpicked every one of them. And one of you is a devil. Do you remember 
in the Last Supper, when Jesus was washing their feet, before he got to that element, before he got to that aspect of the Last Supper, he said to the twelve, he said, hey, one of you is going to betray me. Do you recall what those disciples did when Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me? Now, he knew. He knew who it was. But those disciples didn't know. When Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me, they turned to one another. They turned to Jesus. They said, is it me? Is it I? They began to question each other. So Jesus knew who it was that was going to betray him. Jesus knew who it was that was going to deny him. But he says, one of you is a devil. And look at this. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him being one of the twelve, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So listen carefully. The son of perdition was the devil in disguise. Now I want you to notice something very interesting here. So turn with me to Revelation eleven seven. This is one of the scriptures we talked about last week. Revelation eleven seven. And when they shall have finished their testimony, this is talking about now the two witnesses we preached on them this past Sunday. The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So the Bible says here in this text that the beast will ascend out of the bottomless pit. And the question I left you with last week was, how did the beast get in the bottomless pit? How did he get in it? If he's going to ascend out of it, how did he get in it? Well, because I believe this is imperative. When you look at this scripture, look at it again. And shall overcome them and kill them, ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. I believe this is imperative because people have asked me this question for many, many years. Pastor, do you have any idea who the Antichrist is? Who is the Antichrist? Who is the Antichrist? I believe this, this story, this text, this passage is imperative of revealing who the Antichrist really is. Because the Bible says, the Bible describes him to be the son of perdition. And by the way, Judas Iscariot is the only person in the Bible who is called the son of perdition, the only one. Now, I want you to see something very interesting here in Acts chapter 125. We touched on this last week, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell that he might go to his own place. Now, I want you to notice those words. You might even want to underline them in your Bible, his own place. And there's not one single other person in the entire Bible. When the scriptures say that someone went to hell, the Bible doesn't say that they went to their own place. Let me re restate that. When the Bible identifies individuals in the scripture who died and went to hell, 
The Bible doesn't say, and they died and went to their own place. So follow this. Judas is the only one in the scripture when the Bible is in reference to, to dying and going to hell that the scripture says that he died and went to his own place. This is significant. For example, when the rich man died, the Bible doesn't say, and the rich man died and went to his own place. That's not what the scripture says. The Bible says that when the rich man died in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. So again, Judas is the only one in the scripture when the Bible says he died, he went to his own place. Now in Matthew chapter 25, verse number 41, this is <clears throat> new scripture that I did not give you last week. And I want you to look at this, Matthew 25, 41. They shall say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye curse into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Look at that. You see, hell was not prepared for mankind. Hell enlarged itself when man fell. Hell was prepared for the devil and his and his fallen angels. So the Bible helps us to understand that hell is is the devil's own place. It's it's a place prepared for him. By the way, the devil's not in hell tonight. The word of God says that the devil is the prince and the power of the air. You want to know why there's so much commotion and rioting and murder and all kinds of things happening in this world today because the prince and the power of the air is running vehemently up and down this earth creating all of this havoc. He's not in hell right now. He will go to hell, but he's not in hell today. Now look at this. Concerning the Antichrist, notice what John says in Revelation 17, 8. The beast that thou sawest was, underline that word was, it is not, underline that word not, and shall, underline the word shall. So you underline three words here in this passage, the word was, the word not, and the word shall. Ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth, remember, I explained that very thoroughly. They are, that's never a reference to God's people. They that dwell upon the earth is always a reference to the lost. Shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they beheld the beast that was and is not and yet is. So now notice the latter part here. He was. He is not, and he will. Notice that. So what is John saying? John is saying that the person of the Antichrist, listen, he is saying he used to be here. He was. But then something happened to take him away. 
he said, first he was, and then he said, he is not. Well, if we think about all the what-ifs in the Bible, listen carefully. Do you remember how Judas left this world? The Bible says that he committed suicide. So think about this. He was, and then he was not. He was here, then he was not here. He was here, he committed suicide. He was not here. Jesus said he went to his own place. When he died, he committed suicide. Jesus said he went to his own place. But then John inserts this. He says, talking about the Antichrist, he said that he will reappear. And he says, the Antichrist, get this, if you don't get this, you miss the whole thing. Because we ask the question, how did the beast get into the pit to ascend out of the pit? Jesus said when Judas died, he went to his own place. And you just read where Jesus said that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. So hell is the prepared place for the devil. That's his place. So the, the beast, according to the word of God, will ascend out of the pits of hell. How did he get there? He died, according, Judas Iscariot died. He went to his own place. He ascends out of the pit. And you think about this. He was, he, he is, and he is not. So when Judas committed suicide, he was taken away. He went to hell his own place. But John says this again, that he's going to reappear. Now, I can't prove this, so listen carefully. You can't prove that it's not, I can't prove that it is. This is one thing I can prove. It won't make you any more saved if you disagree. But the Holy Spirit called the Antichrist the son of perdition. We do know that. Jesus called Judas the son of perdition. Now, if here's the, here's the thing. Now, if Jesus came to this earth as God incarnate, what do you mean, God incarnate? If did we can agree that God came to this earth? Listen, as Jesus. Jesus came to this earth as God, look at this, in the flesh. Let me give you the scripture again. In John 1, 1 and John 1, 14. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word, if the word was made God, the word was with God and the word was God. Okay? The word being Jesus was God. But then in verse 14, the, the Bible says, and the word, Jesus, Jesus is the word, and Jesus, the word, look at this, and the word was God, 
was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Believing all of that, then there's no reason why we cannot believe that the devil came at that season in the person of Judas when the fullness of time had come. Let me remind you, if you go all the way back to Genesis 3.15, it's the first mention in the Bible of the coming of the Messiah. The first prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. It was prophesied the Messiah would come. And why didn't he come in the day of Moses? Why didn't he come in the day of Enoch, Elijah, Elisha? Why didn't he come in the day of Noah? Why didn't he come in the days of Ezekiel and Jeremiah? Why? Because the fullness of time had not come. That's why. When the fullness of time had come, God sent Jesus to this earth in the form of a baby in Bethlehem's manger because the fullness of time had come. It was now time for the Messiah to be born on this earth. Now, I don't know, but this is interesting. If a devil, if he came in the form of a serpent, way back in the Garden of Eden, and he could surely come in the form of a man. Now let me tell you a little bit more about the Antichrist. You say, preacher, that's, that's way over man, I get it. That's way too deep, I get it. And you probably have a thousand more questions than you had to start the service. I get that too. So hopefully we'll just piece this puzzle together as we go along. But let me tell you a little bit more about the Antichrist. These are nine important things about him. When he appears in verse 2, Revelation 6, 2, when he comes, he is going to be the head of all the Gentile nations. So let me settle this tonight because a lot of people, and I've heard this argument and debate that a lot of people have thought that the Antichrist, in order for the Jewish people to believe that he is the Messiah, that the Antichrist will have to be a Jew. But here's the thing. The Bible says that he will be a Gentile ruler. That's significantly different. However, when you stop to think about that, let me show you in, in chapter Revelation 13, 1. John sees a multitude of people here, and let's read this verse of Scripture together. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. By the way, that's representing the chaos of the world. And the scripture says, having seven heads, ten horns, and upon his ten crowns, and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. If you go back to the word see, that means that John saw a multitude of people. For the lack of time this evening, I, I want to say that this verse is talking about the revised Roman Empire. And so if that's true, then 
Preacher, how will the Jewish people accept a Gentile Messiah? Well, it is a great possibility and one that I I put more study into because I don't have all the answers. I don't want anybody in here to think, or those of you that are watching, I don't to think I'm a walking Bible because I'm not. There's a lot of things that I do not know. But, I, but I'm leaning towards, heavily towards in my study, with the great possibility of a dual citizenship. By the way, just like the Apostle Paul had. The Apostle Paul had a dual citizenship. Let me show you what I mean. In Acts 21, verse 39. Acts 21, verse 39. They get these scriptures up here on the screen for you. He says this. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Sicily, a citizen of no mean city. I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. But then... In Acts 22, verse 25 through 28, the word says this, And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the satyrian that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman? Look at that. A Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that he went and told the chief captain, saying, Hey, take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. And the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? And he said, Yea. And the chief captain answered with a great sum, Obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was born free. In Acts 21, for, uh, verse 39, he said he was a Jew. But here in this passage, he's saying he's a Roman. Is he lying, trying to tell a tall tale? Absolutely not. He had a dual citizenship. And so I believe that as we draw this parallel, that the Antichrist, when he comes in, he will also likewise have a dual representation. And I believe that's probably how that will happen. The second thing that I want you to know about the Antichrist when he comes in is that he is going to appear with cult-like abilities. This is something very important. What do you mean by that? In Daniel chapter 11, verse 21, the scripture says, and in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in, look at this, the rider of the white horse, Revelation 6-2, he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. He's going to be able to captivate the attention of the world and bring the hysteria, the commotion, the pandemonium all together by flatteries. And by the way, that's how people join cults. Charles Manson did it. David Koresh did it. Jim Jones did it. I, I, I'm amazed. I read of stories all the time. I'm amazed how good Christians can get caught up in some of the cultish flatteries of the world today and be led astray. I, I don't understand it, but it happens. So 
the Antichrist, he's going to appear to be religious and he's going to have the ability to attract millions of people all over the world. Number three, real quickly, I don't know, I've got just two minutes left. At first, the rider of the white horse, Revelation 6-2, here in Daniel chapter 11, verse 21, he comes in as a political leader. And in Revelation 17, verse number 15, the Bible says, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And so the waters here in this scripture is a picture of the sea of humanity. He's going to be able to gather the whole world together, congregate them. He is going to be able to open borders, tear down walls. He will be the man of the political hour. His notoriety, popularity will, will burn through the world as uncontrollable fires of influence. And speaking of influence, number four, he's going to have worldwide influence. People are going to look at him as if he was more than a man. He's going to be so crafty that people will look at him and say, this man has to be some kind of God. He has supernatural powers. This, this is a man like no other man. He's, he's able to perform miracles, and yes, he will. I want to give you this scripture in Revelation 13, verse 13. Revelation 13 and verse number 13. The word says this. And this is speaking of the Antichrist. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven. I need to close here tonight with this passage because I want to share something with you. Look at this. Look at it very carefully. I said Sunday in the message that the Antichrist, he will do everything to emulate, to mimic God. That's why he's called the Antichrist. He will try to, he's the counterfeit. Christ. He's the Antichrist. I gave you the, the, the scripture in uh, where in Revelation 6-2 he comes in riding a white horse, a symbol of peace. And you see later on in Revelation where Jesus comes riding a white horse. That's in the Revelation. But I want you to look at this very carefully because this is describing what the abilities of the Antichrist will do. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Now, I gave you the scripture Sunday. Who, who was able to do this in their ministry? It was the prophet Elijah. Do you remember when he called down fire from heaven? The difference is this. Elijah called fire down from the third heaven where God's throne is. The Antichrist will be able to call fire down not from God's throne, not even the second heaven. He will be able to call fire down from the first heaven where the Bible says that he is the prince and the power of the air. So he is this, this atmospheric cloud substance that we have over our head is going to be like a puppet on his string. And he's going to be able to imitate. So how can he do that? Do you remember the... Uh, the servants in the palace of Pharaoh, by magic, they were able to make their rods turn into snakes as well as Moses. It's a, it's a counterfeit. It, it's a, it's a, uh, a visual deception. 
But people will be so gullible, they will say, this man is a miracle worker. He is a man like none other. Look at what this man can do. And so by far, he is going to deceive the world. So next week, Lord willing, I will start with point number five because I have nine characteristics of him uh, before we move out of this portion describing uh, what this Antichrist will do when he comes in. There are four horses. And uh, there's the white horse, there's a red horse, there's a pale horse, there's a black horse. So we'll talk about those uh, and each one of their descriptive forms. Well, we have to close here tonight. And uh, I hope that uh, something, not I realize not everything, but I hope something sat at heart with you. You said, hey, I get that. I see it. I mean, I don't understand it, but I see it. This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot.